time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. I am thrilled to be having a conversation that many of you have requested, um, and I cannot think of a better person to talk about this with. Uh, we were just kind of joking before I hit record that uh, the last two times we have done an event <laughs> together, this topic has uh, been semi the focus or at least been part of it. And so um, I know from literal experience that this is the person that you're going to want to hear from today. So Leah, welcome. We're going to be having a conversation about getting in touch with your desires. And I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here and just to have, you know, an hour together to focus on desire. Yeah. Because I think that in general is not something that many of us center in our daily lives. It's true. So before we get into this juicy, juicy topic, will you let everyone know who you are, what you do, and what lights you up? Yes. So my name is Leah. Love Evelino. My mom was a hippie. And is that your is that your real middle name? Yeah, that's my actual middle name. And then I became like a love therapist. It was must have been written in the stars. Incredible. I was like, um, this has to be like a stage name, but for therapy. But no, I know. No, it's not. I know. <laughs> it would be really cool if it was. Um, and I guess I'll start with my human intro. So I'm a lifelong New Yorker and I'm a historic self-denier, um, not, not the same anymore. Um, and that self-denial looked like anorexia at some points that looked like people pleasing at other points that looked like de-selfing, taking myself outside of relationships, um, to remain connected to people, uh, and then professionally, I'm a trained clinical social worker and psychotherapist um, that uses somatic intervention. So helping people be in their body and get out of their head so that they can actually step into their fucking lives. And um, in the past, I did couples therapy. But then after having kids and feeling like I had a lot of stuff in my own life to focus on, I focus primarily on groups um, and individuals. And I run a connection hub in Brooklyn, a storefront where we bring people together of all different social identities to work through our challenges and come up with new solutions to them that we can't figure out on our own. Oh, I love it. And having been to the storefront and been a part of one of your groups, it's, um, it's so powerful what you've built. And I think that there's a lot of people don't realize how powerful groups can be mm -hmm. until they are a part of one. And it can feel so intimidating to, to just kind of show up and, and go to how, how do you navigate that with Hatch? Yeah. So, you know, with, 
with when I started spoke, what I found is that okay. if we with took hatch, the Jesus. Yeah. Like, you want to redo that? Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know because yeah. we She's, did the hatch thing. Yep, yep. I'm like, it's on the top of my yeah. mind. So how do you navigate that with Spoke? Yeah, so the reason why I started Spoke is because I was really becoming aware of the power dynamic of the individual therapeutic relationship where there was someone who was coming with a problem to get support um, from an expert and how we can navigate that dynamic really carefully, but there's a lot of traps that are easy to fall into. And so I created a group model and launched it in a co-working space at the wing. And I took therapy completely out of it. I was just like, come figure out why you struggle with imposter syndrome and connect to people who might be in the same place as you are. And 60 women signed up. And Whoa. it reminded me that if we divorce talking about our problems from a problem and focus more on our desires, what we want for our lives, that people are really interested in connecting with others around these topics. But typically the group model has been focused on, you have to identify with being an alcoholic to sign up for a group. You have to identify with being a sex addict to sign up for a group, not like, want to come get unstuck, come have <laughs> sex with us, sit on a floor cushion and let's like shoot the shit. And so all yeah. of our titles of our groups are like very human. We just did one on people pleasing last night and it was called say the damn thing. It's just like, how do we get there together? Um, so really taking it off a pedestal and holding the line that in 2023, it's a really radical thing to just show up that so many of us feel like we have to be filtered, say the right thing in our friendships, in our family, in our community. So people really like a space where we can like shed those layers and just work through the stuff that holds us back without the stigma or the medicalization of the therapy model. Oh, I love that so much. And I, I have talked about this more in the framing of why I don't take insurance Mm -hmm. as a clinician because it requires that diagnosis which yeah. then prevents people from seeking therapy and like that that cycle um but i love that from the group perspective and it makes so much sense i've never really thought about it through that lens but you're totally right like historically speaking to join a group you have to have a a thing and yes. that thing is like part of your identity. And then going to that group is supposed to help like fix or manage the thing. Yep. You hit the nail on the head versus saying like, do you want to have more of what you want in your life? Come, come get it. You deserve it. And we're going to yeah. create a really colorful space that was created by the community to help you do that. Oh, I love, I want to come to more. Yes. Uh, events. I'm I'm excited to attend as a participant too. It's it's you know it's hard to find community in 2023. It's hard to find community. It, it, I, I get asked all the time, like as an adult, how do I meet people? How do I meet new friends? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> like, can you tell me if you figure it out? Totally, totally. And how do you know if you go to a place or you meet up with a person that it's going to feel good or that person will be respectful of your identities? So yeah, yeah we put yeah. a lot of thought and intention to creating a space where you can be authentically you. Ugh, love. All right. So let's dive into this. I think that 
a lot of people are going to see the title of this conversation and see the word desire, similar to the word pleasure, mm -hmm. and immediately go to, oh, this is just going to be a conversation about sex. Right. And while I'm sure we will talk about sex as part of this, how do you define desire? How does desire, what does it mean to you? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. And I think it's so apt because desires are so huge and messy. So I think a lot of times when we hear the word desire, we think of actually what our cravings are. Hmm. Like, I want this piece of cake. I want that dress. I want that guy. And really, when I think about desire, I think of taking responsibility for the soul wants that you have inside of you, for connection, for comfort, for fulfilling sex. So it's really about owning those big, messy hungers. And uh, that is very different than owning our cravings, which we do, I think, because they're easier. The definition of a craving is the narrowing of focus to one thing. So a lot of us avoid our giant, ravenous, gross, I'm using words that like yeah. have been attached to desire, um, desires because our cravings are more accessible to us. You can put that item of clothing in an online cart. You can go and order that piece of cake, but what you might have a harder time doing is going after the big wanting because that requires you to first identify with how fucking hungry you are for a big and messy life. <laughs> Would you be willing to share some of your desires that you have come to grips with? Yeah, I think um, I remember when I first started to own some of my desires that having like big tender love was something I can even feel my like throat tighten up saying mm. it now 10 years down the line was so hard to admit because admitting it meant that I might not get it. And it also got me in touch with the grief of the many years of living without it. Um, another one of my desires is to be less um, intellectual and more move from the space of my body. So like when I feel like I want to dance, like get up and dance, or when I feel like the right thing to do in that moment is say, fuck off, actually like say it with the full force of my being. Um, so when I think about my desires at this moment in my life, it's aligning what I'm thinking with what I'm saying, with what I'm feeling, with what I'm doing. <laughs> So if I'm having sex being like, I want it, I want that thing. And I'm going to align the movements in my body with that thing. And I think a lot of us are encouraged to create disconnects in those thoughts, feelings, behaviors, um, and sensations. Where do you think that comes from? Because we certainly don't come out of the womb. <clears throat> we don't come out of the womb like Mm, I'm ashamed of my big desires. You know, like what yes. what happens in in your experience along the lines of growing up in our world where they become these scary things? I think that is very dependent on the social identities that you possess. So, for example, for me as a white woman, it was important for me to be nice, 
to me to be pleasing to others, for me to not ask for too much. Those were all things that made me a more acceptable human. And when I think about it, I actually noticed that I was most liked and socially accepted when I was most deprived and self-denying, which is kind of a scary and sad realization. Yeah. Um, so if each of you at home and you too, Rachel, if you think back to like, what are the messages that I got around my wanting, um, how much it's okay to want, or a lot of times we learn that our desires are akin to indulgence or selfishness. Mm -hmm. And who would want to be selfish, right? Especially growing up in a cis woman's body, like it's better for you to be selfless. Um, mm -hmm. So I think a lot of us get those messages and then follow them because they allow us to gain social acceptance and inclusion, love and safety in our world. It's as you were saying that I was thinking about a lot of kids in middle school and high school. I was in drama and choir and I I loved theater. I like grew up. My mom was an actress and singer. Like I grew up in rehearsal spaces. So to me, it was very, uh, quote unquote, normal to be a part of drama and, and theater. And I remember so many of my friends at school saying things like, I so badly wish I could be in drama club mm. or I wish I could be in choir and asking like what 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 the fuck do you mean you wish you could like we're 15 like just join yeah, third period like what are you talking about and it was I mean now of course like with a lens looking back what it really was is I won't be socially accepted as I am now if I shift this part of my identity and become mm -hmm. this, you know, drama nerd, or I'll be looked at as, as different. Yep. Yes. <sighs> I can totally Black. see that. And so, so many of us then color inside the lines, um, yeah. because they, they, ex we experience a somatic response when you step outside of the lines which our brain tells us is danger, high voltage, right? Yeah. So for example, when I started to own how hungry I was for love, for affection, for like genuine comfort, like that felt bad, not because it was, but because it was so new and different and because it was entering a state of risk. Like yeah. will the people that have been invested in me continue to invest in me if I become this hungry, not self-denying person. Yeah. And then add in the reinforcement of actually being positively reinforced for staying within the lines and being the most accepted mm. and the most validated. Like, of course, it's hard to then step outside. That's like three factors that are just like, I'm just going to stay. I'm just I'm just going to stay. Right, right. Which is our brain's primary survival technique. It's like the brain is only existing to help us be safe. So yeah. vulnerability is not its favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. And trying something new and different is often A, not productive, which goes against a capitalist agenda, and B, yeah. very inconvenient because we have to learn something new and that's going to bring up a lot of feelings for us and that's going to create more of a possibility for social judgment 
and you're making me think about the word perfection and how I'm really looking at it now as a way to confirm belonging, right? Mm. Like maybe if I am just perfect enough, maybe if I just do everything right and stay in the line, then I can't compromise or threaten any of the connections that I have. Yeah. Uh, And then of course, anxiety, depression, all of these kind of symptoms of forcing ourselves to stay somewhere where we're not happy, to be someone that we're not, come on. And then that just piles on top of it again. And without that awareness of the causation, it just keeps us even more stuck. Yes. Yes. I think you're also bringing up a really good point, which is something that I've had to get more familiar, which is that like desire and going after what we truly want often requires some loss. So for example, if I say to you, like, Rachel, I really need more ease in my life. I have to give something up to create the space for that ease. And most of us want to acquire, right? Like we just want, we, we would, we want to stack ourselves with more. We don't want to have to give something up. If I say to you, I no longer want to be a people pleaser. I want to be self-pleasing that I might have to give up being liked for being respected. And those negotiations are easier said than done. Totally, totally. And figuring out the the balance and integration of those things. It's really interesting because I, I know that I consider myself a re- people pleaser. And one of the uh, concepts that I really had to like work through was that the pendulum was going to potentially have to swing a little too far in the other direction, right? Like an overcorrection. And then I was going to find a middle, but no one really talked to me about finding the middle where there would be times where I could still be in alignment with myself and say yes to something that I maybe didn't really have like a, yeah, I can't wait. But like, I wanted to show up for this person that was asking this of me. So like, mm-hmm. yes, like you can, that I could still quote unquote people please in moments mm-hmm. without having that be an identity and without having my entire world be this unconscious people pleasing in order to stay liked. Yes. Yes, that like it like the pendulum might swing directly to the other side, but that you can fall out somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, yeah. like when I think about that, like going from people pleaser to the opposite non-people pleaser, that's also our brain's way of trying to predict the worst case scenario or the extreme scenario so that we can carve out a pathway in our head before we right. jump into the risk, right? Yeah. We're like, you know what I'll do? I'll just be a selfish, selfish bitch for the exactly. rest of time. And everyone's just going to have to accept it. Yep. And that's just an anxiety management tactic. So whenever I go to the other end of like, you know what? I'm so stressed with work. I'm quitting. I'm moving to Costa Rica. I'm opening a tiki hut. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's my way of managing anxiety because like the gray in the middle is so messy again, like desire that, oh, why would I want to be in that mud when I can be on a nice stick on the other side? (laughs) So why do you think it is so messy for us to find these middle grounds, these gray areas? what like what is that so i think if you think about 
I think about support circles. Our, our community has about 600 people in it and we come together and we talk about what we want. And in every support circle, I would say across identity groups, when I say, so what do you want? There's crickets, people look around, <laughs> and it's very clear to me that this is a new question that mm. many people are, con are contemplating. And in a culture that asks of us, what are you valued for? Mm. How much time have you actually spent with what do I value and what do I really want? Um, so I think, again, that's more of a radical question to sit with is, do you spend time dreaming up what you want? Do you organize your dinners around talking about your desires instead of your work stress or your ambitions? These are all things that are possible for us, but that are often not served up on a silver platter. And in every journey that I've taken to get what I want, it's been fucking bumpy. Yeah. You know, I've gotten divorced. <laughs> I've felt incredibly lost. I've had to get four jobs to cover my expenses to get from point A to point B. Yeah. You know? So I think that pathway, we start to get on it and we're like, oh, this, this, this feels bad, right? Like I can't sleep. I'm breaking out in hives. Is this the right path? But being lost is a valid part of every desire journey. And I think when we're on that roller coaster, we think that's an indicator that we should get off and yes. go back to Ugh. what we know. What do you think? No, agreed. We have talked a lot about the lack of sex education, especially sex education for pleasure. So when I learned about Beducated, I was very eager to share it with you. They have over a hundred online courses from the world's top sex educators so that you can enjoy sex more, build confidence, and communicate more effectively with your partner or partners around sex. No matter your relationship status, design, sexual orientation, gender, or sexual preferences, there is something for you. Some of my favorite courses are about blowjobs, cunnilingus, sex and disability, and learning how to navigate mismatched libidos. Beducated is offering the Right Conversations listeners, that's you, a very special offer. When you sign up using code RightConversation or the link in the show notes, you'll get a one-day free trial to check it out. And if you like it as much as I think you will, you'll get 40% off a year-long subscription, plus a no-risk 14-day money-back guarantee. You can sign up using the link in the show notes or go to beducated.com and use code RightConversation to feel more educated, confident, and connected. Thank you for naming that because I think that like, and I talk a lot about a similar thing, which is like, is it your intuition or is it your past trauma? Mm. And deciphering between like, no, my gut is saying that this is not a good situation. And knowing if that is really our intuition or if it's like, actually, I was in a similar situation like this before and it went quite poorly. So now I'm I'm being protected by my brain. But here's all the different reasons why this is different and why I am safe. Yeah. And this human nature feeling of like, um, got to get off the ride, got to protect myself is so big. I just, 
um, recently I recorded a uh, BDSM pre-scene consultation demo with a friend of mine. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was this study that I had never heard before. So I'll repeat it for anybody who didn't watch it. Uh, There was a study on kids on a playground. And when the playground had no fencing in, all of the kids stayed around the jungle gym at the very center. They didn't go out and run. And when there was a fenced in area around the playground, the kids dispersed and went and played in different areas. And it was because of this feeling of safety. They knew where the edges were. And it's really like this creativity can thrive with structure type thing. And I think that when we're having this roller coaster experience, it can often feel and we perceive it as a playground with no fences. Yes. And so we just kind of cling in the middle of like, yeah, I don't want to go too far. Like I'm going to be lost. I don't, I don't want to do that. But really we just haven't walked far enough to see the fence. Like we haven't explored enough to realize that there is an end to it. And so we cling so hard and we're like, let me off the ride. This isn't safe. And I guess then my follow-up question to that is how do you help people or how have you in, in your experience figured out when it is time to kind of cut the line. Like I am breaking out in hives. I'm not sleeping. I am working for jobs. Actually, this, this wasn't the right choice for me versus all of those things happening and knowing that it's the right choice, knowing that you're still within those playground fences and that, that it's okay and that you're safe and it's part of the journey. Yes. So I think one step of that is first calculating how much risk you can tolerate (laughs) and at what rate feels right to you, which only you can determine to move towards that risk. So for example, if you've had a desire to be a florist, but you work in corporate America and you have had this kind of gnawing thought process of like, okay, it's time to quit. When do those voices come up? Do they come up in moments of stress? Does it sound like a whisper? Is it sounding like a scream? Does it come up once every six months? Do you notice it's Mm. getting really loud and you've been hearing it for two years? So really turning inward versus going outward, (laughs) because what we try to do when we're assessing risk, and especially if we have a trauma history, is we look outward and try to guess if the environment is safe. Is that person thinking I'm an idiot? Will that person still love me? And we focus Mm -hmm. on the external versus what are the internal cues that my wise mind and my wise body and my wise spirit are generating constantly to help guide me on my journey? And then notice, okay, these whispers have been persistent. I want to be a florist. Can my life tolerate me just up and quitting and going to floristry? I don't know if that's a word. (laughs) It is today. I don't know either, but we'll go with it. Totally. Um, And, or do I need to create something that my friend Amina Altai, who is a career coach, has talked about a plan? I'll pause. Can you hear me? Yeah. 
Okay, amazing. Let me fix this. Okay, we're going to charge these suckers. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't take your time. Or do we have to create a plan? That's something my friend who's a career coach, Amina Altai, talks about to go from being in this world to crawling into the next, then walking into the next, then running into the next, right? And so by the time most of us have gotten in touch with our desires, we've sat with the deprivation for so long that we feel on fire and we need to run, but it's because we've blown past those whispers, those little internal signals for so long. So orienting to those needs are actually what will help free us up to be able to take the leap that's the right size for us in the step two. Okay. I, gosh, there are so many juicy tidbits in this so far. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to it because I need to rehear so much of this Good. over well, and over again. Inspire me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh man, what desires do I have? So yeah. I, I want to be sure that we do hit on, on sexual desire um, mm -hmm. and some desires. And I know that in both of our work and in our personal lives, that this is something that has come up. I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to share specifically, whether that is personal or professional yeah. around sexual desire um, for anyone listening, who literally about anything that comes to mind right away. So I think a lot of times with uh, myself and some of my clients, um, what I notice when we talk about desire is we talk about desire in relation to another. And what I've been sitting with is what are my desires just in relation to myself, yeah. right? Like how well do I know my vagina? <laughs> how well do I know what feels good? what flavors, what types of touch, what specific eye contact movements, where on my body do I like to feel my hands? Where on my body do I like to feel tingling? So like really going towards the micro, which again, these are not like productive questions that you sit with, like they're, they're highly productive to ourselves, but like our world, our yes. productivity world doesn't value them. So that's yeah. why so many of us don't do that. But I wonder one question that I've been kind of sitting with myself and posing to my clients is like, what does the sensation of aliveness feel like in you? Mm. And then how mm. can you explore the world and then be like, oh yeah, like that's the thing I'm chasing. Oh, this relationship? that's the aliveness oh this job this city like not that we have to feel good and turned on all the time but like no but like that'd be nice texture. yeah that would be I, <laughs> I think that should be that, that can be a goal <laughs> let's, let's let our desires be big but yeah really going to that phrase of sensation of aliveness what does that mean for me wow leah when you asked that question my entire body was covered in goosebumps mm. it, that is you really lit up when i i saw you yeah like truly like head to toe goosebumps it's i've never heard it phrased that way and there's something so somatic even about the words of of that question and like it got my brain just started like like firing different memories and it's interesting because i know we're talking about sex but even before you said 
city and place, my first thought after you said that was my very first time in New York. Mm. I was living in California and I had family out in New York and we went to visit them. And I was probably like eight or nine, somewhere around there. And I, I looked up at my mom, we were walking around and I said, mom, I, I want to live here. And that's the first time that I can remember that feeling of aliveness with mm. desire in my body. Wow. And it took me so long to get to the city and, and to move out here. But I knew, I knew with every fiber of my being that that, that, that is what I wanted. Yeah. And it was so clear. And I remember her being like, okay, sure, honey. And not in an invalidating way, but just in like a, you're eight years old, like, right. sure. What, you know, we could talk about it later. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One day at a time, girl, like this is fine. Um, so thank you for asking that. I think that, it, it, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's something that is so beautiful to go back to. Cause I, have now like a catalog that I've acquired of like when I felt that way. And whenever I feel too intellectual or whenever I feel like I've lost contact with myself, I go back to that catalog, right? And it's not like I have to replicate being 19 years old, running through the streets of Manhattan, like literally feeling lightness in my being and yeah. like my, my mini dress. Although, you know, I'm wondering what would come up if I did that after this this podcast and go to <laughs> truly I know I'm like, you want to put on mini dresses and run around exactly. Brooklyn let's do it I would love that experiential exercise yeah but also like how far am I from feeling that and when I feel yeah. like I've gotten too far from home what can I use about that intel to help me find my way back to myself oh it's so good and I I also really love that question in the framing of your relationship with yourself sexually. I, I agree with you. And in my professional experience and clinical experience, it is that when we hear the word, the words sexual desire, we think about it in context of what do I want with and yes. then insert other person or insert other whatever. And it's so rare that someone is asking themselves, what do I want with me? Yeah. And I even get questions like, you know, and this is across the gender spectrum of, you know, my partner masturbates X often amount of time and I'm insecure about that. And mm -hmm. I often have to like work with people to understand that someone's sexual relationship with themselves is not a threat to their sexual relationship with yes. them. In fact, it's the opposite. Like the more that they understand their body, the more that they can share that intel and, and what makes them feel alive with you. Yes. Yes. And I wonder too, if we take that and then that the next level, if that person or those people, because I think this is a common fear or threat. Yeah. Actually masturbate that as much or are willing to, because mm -hmm. one thing that I was recently reading about um, and something Brene Brown has stumbled on too, is how resentment is actually a function of envy. And that when we mm -hmm. feel threatened or we feel like someone else isn't giving us what we want, that maybe it's actually that we want the thing that they have. Yeah. So the areas where we feel threatened or angry or resentful, I want to invite all of us to explore what it is it about that, that I might actually want for myself. 
right? Because we've had to find all these creative ways of denying our wants and focusing on the other versus like, what could this tell me about maybe what I need to do? Yep, totally. And I think that that shows up in judgment too. You Mm. know, I, I hear things like, oh, that person posts such, uh, seductive images on social media or like i can't believe that person would post that picture in that outfit that was so slutty and not slutty in the empowered reclaiming way like slutty in the like i'm judging that person way and i wonder how often that person who's saying that and you know if you're listening to this and you're like "Mm, i i said that i thought that i did that like you're not alone a lot of us do but like get curious about that and ask yourself is part of that because you wish that you could and not just could but would or is there a part of you that feels envious that maybe not about posting on social media but that you would like to even send a photo like that to your partner Mm. or someone else in your life that you also want to receive this positive sexual feedback and that you're feeling envious that this person was like posting a thirst trap to get that feedback right. that that you so deeply want, you know? Yeah, I think those are all areas for self-investigation, include, including guilt. Yeah. So if you have a desire, because desire and guilt are often very aligned in our culture, um, and you notice you feel guilt about that, like wanting more time away from your children or wanting to work less, that's an area to look at as well of like, who's working me over right now to help distract me (laughs) from what I truly want? Um, And how can I actually go towards that guilt rather than follow its traditional path of self-denial? From a logistical perspective, do you have any tips for people out there, especially what what popped into my head was parents, but I don't want this to just be about parents, but parents often kind of have that first line of like, I am responsible for someone else, so therefore my needs are second. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm wondering if you have any tips for people to carve out the space to ask themselves these questions, if perhaps they are not in therapy and aren't really interested in therapy and listen to podcasts like this and and are interested in this and so clearly want to access something. Is there anything that you would suggest tactically? Yes, that's a really beautiful question. I think parents are a good example of this, but so many of us have so many different priorities and there's so many things that have to get done um, in the day that it could be really easy to have these deeper, more soul searching questions put on the back burner. But I wonder if that's part of the problem is they're framed as extras or indulgences versus as essential life giving experiences. And somewhere along the way, somebody told parents that denying ourselves was good for our kids. Yeah, which, where, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, how does you avoiding taking care of yourself actually support your child who will just likely replicate the exact same pattern? And you will say, but I told her to go out and get her needs met. And I will say, but did she see you do that? 
Right. Um, And so I think in order to practically do this, to your point, is asking yourself first, what can I say no to in order to say yes Mm. to desire in my life? And that literally might be a five-minute inquiry. (laughs) That might be something that you plan for uh, two weeks from now on your date with your partner to center the conversation around. That might be an after-sex conversation before you go to bed or a two-minute journal entry. But when you think that's too much, I wonder if you can ask yourself, why do I think centering my desires in my life is too much, is an extra and not an essential? Love that. Love that. Oh, Leah, this is like, I really am so deeply grateful for this conversation and for your time and work in the world. And I hope that this is the the third of many times that that we get to do something like this together. Yes. Thank you for inviting me and for asking such juicy questions. I like that you invite messiness. So I appreciate you. you making that space. Thank you. I'm all about the mess. I like, you know, I it's especially as a therapist, I feel such a responsibility to show that. to your point earlier about this like power differential between like, hi, I have a problem. I'm going to an expert. Like, sure, there may be certain areas that I have knowledge about, just like someone who works in IT knows how to fix (laughs) IT shit way more than me. And I'm like, I don't know what that wire is. You know, like we all have different areas of expertise and I'm still a human. And like, I'm in my own therapy and figuring my own shit out and doing the work too. And so I think that being able to model messiness is a responsibility. And that's how I experience it. I certainly don't think every therapist in the world has to do this. And if you're a therapist listening, I'm not telling you what you should do. Um, but it feels really important to me to to model that. And so I, I really appreciate that reflection from you. Oh, good. Well, I'm right there with you trying to do that too. Thank you. Leah, where can people find you? I will put all of your info in the show notes, but I know some people listening can't find the show notes or they don't want to click around in a podcast app and they're they're listening and, and going yes. on Instagram right now. So where where can people find you? So you can find information about all of our groups to get into these juicy, messy conversations at spoke circles at Instagram on Instagram and then at Leah love Avellino for um, if you want to get into conversation with me or I write a monthly relationships column for well and good and we'll be launching a monthly parent column that's focused not on the kid but the parent so <laughs> wow what a concept <laughs> yeah, wow ah <laughs> <laughs> oh. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Leah and friends. We'll, we'll see you in the next episode. See you soon. That's all for today. You sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>